Good morning, everybody. Good, morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. Thank y'all for coming out to class. So I have blue books in the back, and those are our next books, because we're in 2 Peter chapter 3, and that's in the green books, and that's the last chapter of 2 Peter. So the blue books have all three of the epistles of John and Jude. So then we'll probably be starting on those, I imagine, next week. So we might get to them today, but I, I didn't really think we would, but we'll see. So chapter three of Second Peter, the objectives here are to be reminded that there will be scoffers of the promise of the Lord's coming to review the catastrophic events to occur when the Lord returns and the promise of new heavens and a new earth. Uh, to, to note Peter's estimation of Paul as a brother and his epistles as scripture and to carefully consider the twofold admonition at the end of the epistle. Remember, this is the, we're coming to the close of the letter. So we're gonna come down, we're gonna look at the main points of the chapter. And the main points are that scoffers will come looking at verses 1 through 9, and then also looking at verses 10 through 18, the day of the Lord will come. With that in mind, let's read the first, uh, the first nine verses, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willing, willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so with that in mind, with those verses in mind, we look at question two in our book. How did Peter seek to stir up his readers' minds? Or what was he using to stir up their minds? The way they lived in the past. Well, he mentioned the past, right? He, meant, he was reminding them of the words of the prophets from the past. And he wanted to remind them of the commandments that the apostles were given them. If you look at verses 1 and 2 there, 
And he says in verse 2 especially that you may be mindful of the words that were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles. So he's trying to stir in their memory, in our memory, whoever's reading this, he's trying to stir up his audience's memory, uh, these things that they've been taught. If we look at question number three, what would scoffers be saying in the last days? Yes, Eddie. Well, where is he? Well, where is he? Yes. That's basically it. Where is he? Yeah. Right. That's basically it. Where is he? Where's the promise of his coming? And basically saying everything's continuing on as it always has. Uh, yes, man. Yeah, nothing ever changes. I don't see anything changing, so why should I expect to let Right. Yep. Nothing's any different, right? It's always the same. There's nothing new. So, yeah. So, it's been, this is the way things have been going on since creation. Yes, surely. And a few years back, you were saying God was dead, remember? Right. There was that, yes. Yeah. But we know better than that. But, yeah. Yes, Matt? I think that hymn we have in our book, Our God, He is Alive, was written in response to that. It was like a Newsweek or Time magazine, God is Dead. That was the cultural question, and I think it was the 1960s. Oh, okay. <laughs> so that's where we got that hymn from, Our God, He is Alive. It's a rebuke of that, of that idea. Okay, so it's to go directly against that. So that so that hymn, Our God, He is Alive, was like a response to that. Uh, yes? That, that song was written by a member of the church up in, um, was it that? Yeah, Cleveland area. Yeah, Lorraine yeah. Avenue. Oh, it was written by someone yeah. up in Cleveland, around that area. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know that. That's good to know. Do you know Brother Dykes at Ohio State University? I know more of. I mean, I may have met him a time or two. but hmm? That's his great-grandson. That's his great-grandson. Oh, you're saying that his great-grandfather wrote it. Is that what you're saying? Okay. All right. And the song was written in 1966. 1966, yeah. That goes with what Matt was saying, right? It was written in 66 in response to that headline. That God was dead. Well, you know, that was the famous, what do you call it? The generation when we were all hippies and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, that's the hippie generation. Yeah, you know, so it's only natural. They'd say, well, there's no God. We don't have to follow. Right. A God, he's dead. Because that culture, that's what they... That was a big cultural movement at the time. A lot of nature worship and a lot of doing your own thing, I which carries on. All right. Okay, so I lied. <laughs> well, in '66, I would have been like two. So that tells you about how long ago that was, and that's not to be mean. It's just I always forget that 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 I'm that old. It's been that long. Yes. God made the world. There's no God. 
there's so much of that in our culture today that we are surrounded <clears throat> with. It's just saturated. There but is a lot of unbelief in the culture, the right? Is, those who love him, who serve him, who follow after him, we long for him. We believe his promises. We believe his word, and we long for his coming. And we look to, look forward to that day. Right. It's such a vast opposite. Yeah, it does seem like a huge difference because they, you know, the unbelievers, the scoffers, tend to believe that. God doesn't even exist at all, and yet we're looking for the Lord's coming. And we're expecting it. We don't know when that will be, but we are expecting it. So. But, you know, we're kind of in good company if we're made fun of or made, if we're persecuted, because I think about Noah. Noah was saying, hey, it's going to rain. In fact, it's going to flood. And God told me to build this ark. And they were like, yeah, right. It doesn't rain. What are you talking about? Yeah, you can imagine the scoffers that Noah must have faced over that. It was more than 100 years, wasn't it? But it was at least 100 years, let's say. And, uh, I mean, he had to have faced a lot of a lot of scoffers saying that that wasn't going to happen. Yes? A lot of the things today is that God is too loving to destroy anyone. I mean, you know, we're all somewhere or the other going to be saved when that great day comes. Because God is love. Well, God is love, but know you know, that. but with we know that true love also means that also there can also be punishment, there can also be teaching and reprimand and things like that, because if you don't teach your child not to run out in the road, what do you have? You end up with a dead child. You don't want that. And that's you know, that's just one really maybe rough example, but nonetheless, yeah. This subject a little bit yesterday. You know, that God just can't destroy mankind the way the Bible says because He loves us too much. Well, that's why we're going to get into that, but that's why He's so long suffering. That's why He's so long suffering you know, to save as many as can be saved. That's the whole idea. I have to agree with you. Otherwise, it would be over with already, right? No, no, no. So, all right. Question four, then. What do they will, willfully, I keep wanting to say willingly, which is basically the same, but what do they willfully forget? Just what Kim said about Noah's Ark. They forget about the flood. Yep, they forget about the flood, right? Nobody believed that was going to happen except Noah and his family. And, uh, I, I mean, and I say that because obviously nobody else believed or they would have been on the ark, right? So, yes, Matt? Problem is we take the short view. We look at. Well, I, I was here at church last week. I was at work last week. I did my life. You know, I get older or whatever, and things change a little bit. But God never comes back and does any major thing in my lifetime, and even in my father's lifetime. And we can even look back, you know, hundreds of years or whatever. And it never happens. But we're missing the big picture that God does in His timetable. He does do things like. He did bring this this flood on the earth. And since we don't see that today, we're like, well, God doesn't do anything. Well, big picture. God right. does stuff, and he's going to do more stuff, and we need to be ready. Right. Just because we don't see it in our lifetime doesn't mean that God isn't doing anything. He isn't moving, because he is. Yes? His word says he's long-suffering. He's waiting as long as he can. 
for mankind to change the world. Right. To save everyone that can that will repent. If you'll notice in and I, I think I've said this before, if you notice in Revelation, all the people that are going through all the, the bad things, they're unrepentant. That's the whole thing. They're unrepentant. And if you go back to like Deuteronomy, I believe it's Deuteronomy, where there's a list of blessings and a list of bad things that happen if you don't follow God and all that at the towards the end he says it's to get you to repent is what all the bad things are about, is to try to get you to repent and come back to him. That's a very paraphrased synopsis. But uh, anyway, um, so yeah, so they, they forget that God has destroyed the earth before with the flood, or at least destroyed everything on the earth. Now, if we look at Question five, are we ready for that? Yes. Okay, if we look at question five, what does the word of God say concerning the heavens and the earth? Reserved for fire. Right. They are kept in store and reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Now, I don't know about you, perdition, when I read that, that is nearly meaningless to me. It's not a word I use, so, so I looked it up. And there's the long form, but I'll give you the short form first. The short, the short of it, perdition means their doom or condemnation or destruction. And then the long form of perdition is a state of eternal punishment and damnation into which a sinful and unrepentant person passes after death. And instead of unrepentant, I think they actually say unpenitent, but there's another word I just don't use. <laughs> so I've heard it, but I just don't use it. So that's, uh, that's what perdition is, and that's what it's stored up for, for that time. So now if we look at question six, what should we be careful not to forget? Right, our timetable is not the same as God's. Right. God's time is different. Time, in a way, is meaningless to God, compared to us especially. But with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. That's, that's meant to represent the idea that he lives outside of our time frame. Yes? There is a discussion uh, online I was having. About this very question about God and time, and it's sort of an interesting thing to study. And you, you kind of go back to Genesis one, where God created the heavens and the earth. You know, in the beginning, right? There's sort of a sense of time, and then He created the, the day and night, right? So we have that sense of time. And it talks about God created the stars and the moon and all this stuff for times and seasons and years, right? Uh, to keep track of all that. And so there's this very true sense that God invented time for us. Right. And so he's outside of That's that. He I'm made thinking. this thing, but he's not constrained by it. Right. He made it, and we're constrained by it. He's not. That is the way I look at it. I believe that God created time for us so that we would have a way to pass through the times and all that, but uh, that he is outside of time and that he is beyond time. It's something that he created just like the rest of creation. He is over and above all of that. And if you look at Psalm 90, verse 4, 
This is where uh, I think Peter is kind of referencing back to that. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. Just meaning that God does not live in time the way we do, just like Matt was saying. So, as kind of a bonus question, and we may have talked about this just a little bit, but why does God wait to end the world? Why not now? Right, it says so in verse 9, right? Verse 9, I lost verse 9. Hold on. Okay, yeah. It says, uh, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? So just wanted to make sure we, we mention that. And you can also see that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And this is just a snippet. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth? God wants everyone saved. Unfortunately, we know there will be some who just will not repent and come to the Lord. So, Does anybody have anything else on that before we move to the next section? All right. So our next verses. In uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. I'll just make a note here that some, some translations say, instead of being burned up, will be laid bare. Um, I think the burned up makes sense with what's being said, but I'll just I'll just mention that. I know that some translations say that. And I don't understand what the purpose or what the difference would be there, except I guess everything will be exposed and resolved. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider the long-suffering of our Lord his salvation." And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures." You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your, stead your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So, if we look at uh, question number seven. How will the day of the Lord come? Like a thief. Like a thief in the night, right? 
when you least expect it or when you're asleep, you're not paying attention, you don't expect it, right? I, that's what I'm doing at night. I sleep the sleep of the dead. Nobody wakes me. It's just, boom, I'm out. <laughs> so, I mean, that's just the way it is. So, it's going to be unexpected. We're going to be doing the same thing we always do when he shows up. Yes. I, I don't know if anybody's experienced a robbery or a break-in, but I actually have. We live long enough it happens. Something gets stolen. Um, I've had, you know, vehicles broken into and things stolen in broad daylight. Didn't expect that to happen. Even though the car was locked, didn't matter. Uh, also had the house broken into in broad daylight. House was locked <coughs> up and I was out running errands and came back and things were missing and rifled through and and the locks were broken, windows, etc. So they find a way in. Yeah, they find a way. That. No, I was living my life doing whatever I was doing that day, taking care of things that needed to be done. So it's very unexpected and it's such a shock when it does happen. <coughs> It is a shock when it happens, and and a lot of us, I'm sure, have experienced that. I've had my car broken into before as well, and these things just happen, and it is unexpected, and we're always just doing our normal, everyday routine, right? And then, boom, you have that happen, and it's just not, you know, it's a surprise. So, it will be a surprise. Don't come as a thief, but it will also have a lot of noise. Right. Yeah, it says the uh, earth will pass away with a loud noise and with the heat and everything. Yes. Yes. But he will come as a thief in the night, meaning that, you know, it's unexpected. We're not really, we don't know when he's coming. I guess that's the thing. That's the, yes, Barbara. Oh, okay. Right. We don't know. We don't know how long we have, do we? I mean, it happens to everybody. It comes at some point that when we're not expecting it, we we go. We we go on to be with the Lord, and that's we don't know when that time will be. Yep. Yeah. That's Isaiah. Yeah, that is. That's Isaiah 65. 17. Isaiah 65, 17. 
I'm slow. Not a, not a new idea in the New Testament. <laughs> no, it's not. <clears throat> yep. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jeru Jerusalem as a rejoicing. And then it continues. But yeah, that is. Hmm, that is a good. That's a good verse for that. So he's promising that even back in the Old Testament through the old prophets, right? Well, verse 13 of our context says the same thing, more or less. It was going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Right, right. Peter is saying the same thing here. So Peter knows that from the old scriptures, right? I mean, it's like, it's like everything that uh, Jesus was teaching was really out of the old law, out of the old scriptures, out of the old prophets, right? So, it, to Matt's point, none of this is really new. It's it's the same. Okay, so then is this new heaven and new earth going to be the same as what we uh, always refer to as going to heaven? What we call... Going to heaven, yes, with the streets of gold. If you look in Revelation 21.1, which I had up a second ago before I went away from it, is... Yeah, we are always talking, you know, we're always thinking and talking about that. That's but what we... even think about it, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. This is, this is what we really, I think, have in our minds when we're talking about going to heaven and being in heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And that's what we refer to as heaven. A lot of times it's this new, new heaven, new earth, this new Jerusalem. <clears throat> but in general, we've just always said, you know, heaven, right? Or to be with the Lord, that kind of thing. Paul actually refers to it when we pass away as being asleep in the grave until the Lord returns. Even though a lot of times we say they've gone to be with the Lord, we, we understand that realistically when the Lord comes back, that's when everyone will actually be with the Lord. So, yes, ma'am. What scriptures? Yeah. Oh, Revelation chapter 21, the first few verses. I was just going to say that some of that goes back to this discussion of time again, too. So it's like, well, what is the sequence of this? You know, yeah, you, you, you die and go to heaven. Is there a judgment right there? It's with the rich man and Lazarus. There's obviously, in that sense, there's some judgment that happens right there, right then. But then we also hear of, of well, we die and we're in the grave, and then Christ returns, and then there's a judgment. Well, I think that the confusion is partly because God is not bound to time. It's just, it's all going to be okay, but it might not make sense to us here in our time-bound bodies to make perfect sense of what's going to happen when time is no more. 
Right. Due to the fact that we are creatures that live in time, and we try to explain things in a way that makes sense to us, but God is beyond us, sometimes what we think or how we explain it might sound a little confusing because he is beyond us and he's like outside of time and does things in his own way. Mm, Pat? I think of a, a thief on the cross when Christ said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say today you'll be with me in heaven. It's the same thing as Lazarus. He went to paradise. Those two things make you think that there is some in between. I just don't know more about them than the verses that are there. But yeah, I know he he does tell the thief he'd be with him in paradise. Well, I yeah. think when I was younger, I got more caught up in like, oh, what's the sequence of events and how's this all going to happen and this is first and that's this and that's last and this is all going to happen as I was younger. The older I get, I think, I'm not going to care. I'm going to get to see the Lord. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen as he directs and as he's planned. And we're going to be looking at the Lord. We're going to see Jesus. He's going to judge every person that's ever lived from all time. Time won't matter anymore. We are going to be able to see him. And we've never been able to see him before. All of these details that we get all wrapped up in and try to figure out in our head, it, I don't think it's going to matter. Except that we, what matters is that we need to have a relationship with the Lord and be living for Him until we breathe our last. Right, right. Because we're going to, however that sequence of events occurs, we're still going to be, move on to be with the Lord as long as we're following Him. Yes, Matt? There's a different perspective on paradise. Um, you know, Re Revelation 2 7 does use that word also, paradise, you know, where He's talking to all the different churches. If you're faithful, you'll, you'll be rewarded. And, Revelation 2 7, he says, I'll grant to eat of the tree of life, which we know is imagery from the Garden of Eden, and we know as imagery from the new heavens and new earth in Jerusalem. Right. And he calls it the paradise of God. And that same Greek word for paradise there is the Greek word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for the Garden of Eden, the paradise of Eden. That's that same word. So it's clearly connected to paradise in what we call often we call heaven or we call the new heavens and new earth, or new Jerusalem, all those things connected. Right, so it is all connected. If you look at Revelation 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So again, it is all connected. It does all connect. That's a good point. Does anybody have anything else on this before we move forward? Okay. All right, so... That was question eight, right? I know we kind of wandered around, but... <laughs> since all things will be dissolved, what should we do then? And in light of all this, of all that's being said, of all that we just talked about... Watch, wait, and be prepared. Watch, wait, and be prepared. Okay. That sounds pretty good to me. Watch, wait, and be prepared. Says, uh, says in verses, what, 11 and 12, to concern ourselves with holy conduct and godliness. Right? 
that uh, spiritual things should be our concern and the welfare of others. Look for and hasten the coming of the Lord. How do we hasten the coming of the Lord? By obeying Him. By, by obeying Him, right? By following the Lord, by doing the things we're supposed to do, right? By spreading the gospel, trying to help fulfill the word and get uh, as many people saved as possible, right? With prayer. Isn't it limited, though? Because he, he knows when. Well, he knows when, but if we can hasten, how I mean, I imagined hastening as completing the mission, right? Which the mission is to save souls. Yes, Matt. Well, back in verse 9, we talked about how, you know, people think God's slow, he's not doing anything, but really he's just waiting and being slow because he wants people to reach repentance, so maybe there's a right. sense in which when all the people reach repentance, then he'll come. Now, now that's a very idealistic idea. We know that not everyone is going to. Okay. But that's a sense in which we're pacing the day. We're trying to complete that mission of getting more people to repent, and at some point his patience will be over. There you go. Right. We're trying to get everyone to repent that will, and then, yes, and then that will be, that will be the end. That will be the end of it. So... All right, so we are out of time. I want to thank you all for your time and attention and interaction. We'll pick back up with this uh, next week.